the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we uh, finish our uh, th- uh, finish off our day today, we do so privileged uh, to do so with uh, John Shattuck, Congressman John Shattuck, formerly representing Arizona's old Fourth Congressional District. Here he is uh, now the uh, an attorney in town and the founder and president of Shattuck Associates. Um, I uh, I sometimes ask John, you know, who's your client base, and it's a client base of about seven point five billion people, right, John? What do you say? Absolutely, yeah, because it's anyone who's ever had a problem with the government, or anyone who might have a problem with the government, or thinks they might have a problem with the government. Absolutely, that's we, who you we take on. You know, yeah. we try to help those people who are currently having a problem with the government, yeah. had one in the past. Huh. Or may have one right. in the future. Yeah. It's, so it, it, all kinds of businesses come in and say, well, I've got this problem. Yeah. And I go, you're my guy. You're my guy. <laughs> it's, it's the biggest client base. Talk about it. I, you can call it even a small business, I suppose. I once asked John, though, and I think it's still true, uh, on a commercial break when we first started doing these interviews, is there anything of his I can promote? What are you selling? Do you have any? You know, I do that with guests. Do you have a book? Do you have an article, an essay, a think tank, a project? He says, I'm, I'm just promoting freedom, man. I'm yeah, just promoting that, freedom. That is the fun. The that fun is, the is fun. promoting freedom. Yeah, good. So, uh, and uh, that is more enjoyable than any other activity I do. Turns out there's a big cost to it that a lot of people aren't willing to pay, though, isn't there? No doubt about it. about it. Absolutely. Joe Biden did something. People, yeah, a ahead, lot of people sorry. don't believe in it. Yeah, anymore. well, that's, that's yeah, yeah. We'll come to that in a minute, too. Joe Biden did something interesting today as part of his uh, 2024 campaign playbook. He he introduced a new word. We would call it a portmanteau word, which is a combination of two words to become one. And he's now bragging about uh, Bidenomics, Bidenomics. And the first thought I had was, and, and he spoke about, and he's very clever, or his people are very clever. He said inflation is down half than from what it was a year ago. Yes, but it was up four times from what it was when he got inaugurated. It's half of what it was that he jacked it up uh, four times from. So he's brought it 50% down from what he jacked it up to. But interesting little historical connotation to this, Bidenomics, um, and whatever he wants to brag about with regard to the economy, you know, when the phrase Reaganomics was used, John, it was a criticism of Ronald Reagan. I mean, that was a phrase you actually saw in the Democratic Party platform. It wasn't a phrase Reagan used himself. In fact, he famously said once the economy um, got back on, 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 on its sea legs, he, he famously said, we know there's a recovery. The best test that there's a recovery is they don't call this, they don't call this Reaganomics anymore. Very odd that he would apply the phrase Bidenomics to his own Economy, And I don't think it's going to work with the people because whatever Joe Biden says about the economy, things are harder here, aren't they? They're not only harder here. uh, It seems to me that everybody realizes how much worse they've gotten since he came into office. Uh, Like you said, so inflation crime dramatic dramatically uh, in the initial part of his term. Then, you know, we hit a peak and he takes all the credit for having it come down 
But it hasn't even come it's come right. down halfway, maybe? It's come halfway, yes. He <laughs> jacked it up 400%. It's now down to 200%. Down yeah. I think his people are clever. I think his people recognize that there are millions of Americans who no longer have the time, and, and in part because government has become so discredited, no longer have the inclination to follow closely what's happening. And so for those people, he can do his best to sell them anything uh, and to claim things are great. And the problem is, at least I and I think this is accurate, is that you know this far out from Election Day, they may hear the rhetoric and go, yeah, you know, uh, he just did this or did that. The problem is when you get close to elections and people stop thinking about, I got to get the kids to school, I got to get... Uh, Sally to soccer practice. I got to go through my daily routine. When they begin thinking about elections, which is much, much, much closer to election day, they go, "Wait, wait, wait a minute." He he's saying I'm better off now than I was then. Um, that doesn't square. My paycheck isn't going as far. Yeah, no, real get- wages have gone up while prices have, uh, have. Excuse me, real wages have gone down while prices have increased. And, and people and, vote on that, right? And they see it every day when right. they walk in the grocery right. store. They right. see it every day when they pull up to the gas station. Mm-hmm. They say to themselves, you know, I really can't fill it up today, so I'll put in half a tank. They totally do. Yeah, and, and if he wants to take credit for those aspects of uh, Bidenomics, yeah. as a matter of fact, for every aspect of Bidenomics, yeah. uh, more power to him. We'll just point out what that means to the average American. I think you had a better portmanteau. You, did you tell me right before the break I'd call it Bidenophilnomics or yeah. something like that? Absolutely. <laughs> that sounds like Snuffleupagus, but that's what it is. And people do vote, really. They do vote that way. I mean, we try and persuade people to vote on all matters of issue, don't, uh, of all matter, all different kinds of issues, don't we, John? We're, we're trying to make this about foreign policy, which I think we should. We're trying to make it about social and domestic policy with what they're doing to our kids and the education system and, and, and the culture and which I think we should. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think a lot of independents really still think of these elections, or if they don't think of these elections, they treat these elections as pocketbook elections. That was the devastating line of Ronald Reagan's. Just ask yourself, were you better off than you were four years ago? People understand that. They they, uh, can, they do, and they should base their vote on their lives. It's important for some to pay a lot of attention to other interests, and foreign policy is one. National security is critically important. You know, protecting the safety of the nation is should be government's first job. But at the end of the day, uh, the extent to which they build a stronger economy that lifts people up or damage the economy and pull them down, that's what people are going to judge uh, the nation on and its leaders on. Uh, and I think we're in trouble because uh, all different uh, aspects of government have lost all credibility. Let me say two controversial things about this and how important or, or, or durable that point is that you're making about the economy and elections. Uh, you remember everywhere. You were in Congress at the time. I was in D.C. at the time. Uh, everywhere during the Bill Clinton scandal, circa 1997-98, perhaps the most omnipresent and maybe omnipotent defense of his was, but the economy. But the economy is doing fine. 
and we kind of tied our social moral values. We kind of, in a weird way, tethered them to our economic well-being, which I thought was, frankly, a political sin. But that's what we did, and that was the defense of Bill Clinton. When you now take – that's how important the economy was. And, of course, your Congress took a big hit in those 98 elections, right? Um, the – I think – I don't know if it's – it's the added point to that, equally controversial perhaps, is heading into the 2020 election, um, you looked at the year – the beginning of the year, January or February, and Donald Trump looked unstoppable because the economy was doing so damn well. And it was pretty clear to me – that COVID was weaponized in many respects as a way to take down the great record that on domestic politics, certainly in economic politics, Donald Trump had, had stood for over the past three, three and a half years. And it did. And it worked. And, you know, she's, she's, she's not going to be teaching. Well, maybe she will be. Lori Lightfoot got an appointment at Harvard I don't think she's going to be teaching Harvard political science, but Jane Fonda said COVID was the greatest gift we could get because it did take down this country and turned everything great into everything awful, including the economy. And so I think those two things put together kind of help harden or durabilize the notion that it really is the economy people will vote on more than anything else, even even over social and character and moral issues. Oh, certainly over those issues. Um I think most elections are, as you said earlier, bread and butter issues. How am I doing financially? Yeah. You know, can I, can I afford a new car or do I need to say no? Can I afford a vacation or do I need, if I'm going to be responsible, to say no? Uh, I think to some degree, I think Jane Vonda's right. I mean, government expanded massively under COVID and and because we have this notion of public health, mm-hmm. Uh, and we look to government to take care of uh, crises in social health. Uh, most of the expansion of government, which occurred during COVID, went without even consideration right. of what it meant right. for who controls your life. That's you right. do or somebody else does. That's the government right. does. Right. Uh, it was, look, forget that. I got to do this for COVID. The government said so. Yeah. And we were happy to destroy to destroy the country over it. Uh, it's 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 civil and economic institutions. And now we found most of it was yeah. built on on falsity. Uh, absolutely, not only that, and now we're looking at where some of this COVID relief money went to. And surprise, surprise, not to where they told us it was going. Let me take a quick commercial break. Come back with you and get your sense on how we're standing with the Hunter Biden investigation a week out after we last talked about it. John Shattuck and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Shattig is my in-studio guest, former congressman, one of the leaders of the 1994 Congressional Revolution, former head of the Republican Study Committee. Uh, John, uh, last week we started talking a little bit more about, well, what had just been announced earlier that week, which was the plea agreement struck between the Department of Justice and Hunter Biden, which was uh, a diversionary program and and to please to uh, misdemeanor uh, misdemeanor charges, federal charges, but misdemeanors nonetheless. 
Since that time, a lot of us kind of smelled the rat. And since that time, we've had two very credible whistleblowers come out with not just their say-so, not just hearsay, but actually written evidence, documented emails that were affirmed by the people they were sent to, showing that, um, in particular, I think the smoking gun here is that the U.S. attorney, David Weiss, was not in uh, full prosecutorial control and decision-making authority to actually charge, make the charge, make the decision about the charges against Hunter Biden, which can only mean it would come from someone above him, which could only mean it would be a political appointee in the Department of Justice or the Attorney General. Now, this has been covered extensively on talk radio, Fox News. Last night, CBS News actually interviewed uh, Gary Shapley, one of those whistleblowers. Uh, I was surprised to see that they did so, but they did. They gave him that credit, the credibility of his story, which seems very credible. Um, there is a chance that when this is presented to the federal judge, she may turn this down. She may decline to accept this plea deal. That happens rarely, but it does happen. Um, but, but, but what's your sense of where this scandal is right now? I have to tell you, one of the most offensive things about it was on Monday he pleads guilty to federal crimes, and on Thursday he's at a White House state dinner. Uh, there was a reporter who asked a wonderful question of Karen Jean-Pierre about that, and she said, if his last name weren't Biden, would anyone else who had pled guilty to federal crimes this week be invited to a state dinner in the White House? Anyway, where, where do you see all this right now? Well, the question answers itself, and um, Biden's conduct shows incredible arrogance. It, it's as if he wants to kind of rub yeah. the people's face in it or yeah. nose in it yeah. uh, and say, see there, I am powerful and I can do whatever I want. Of course, there will always be the insti- instinctive uh, response that parents love their children without qualification. And so Joe Biden will be forgiven given for saying whatever he says on that topic and maybe for whatever he does. What what I think is that the plea itself is yet one more example of government arrogance, of the fact that uh, the nation's leaders used to believe it was vitally important for the survival of the democracy for them to act in the uh, best interests of the nation. And that they, once elected, having sought election, had a obligation, a duty to put the good of the country, including the principles it stands for, including the rule of law and including the concept of equal justice for all ahead of anything personal. And it, it stuns me that people aren't angrier at the Hunter Biden deal because it clearly is a deal. Um, um, quite frankly, what, what's the phrase? You know, uh, elected officials are supposed to be holier than thou. Not that instinctively they are, but that that's their duty for the good of the nation. Men of great so principle. I've got, a st- I've got a set an example right. here. It's Ronald Reagan not taking off his coat right. in the Oval right. Office. And this guy... Uh, seems to think that the example he needs to set is to flaunt his power, uh, which um, he's clearly getting away with. And the danger that bothers me the most about that is that it 
pretty clearly appears that we are being conditioned to accepting corruption Mm -hmm. at the federal level. Mm -hmm. Oh, the federal government is corrupt. What a shock. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet and yet it very much appears that way. Uh, you, you, You really can't make much of a case that we look today on some of the most important principles like a banana republic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've said to some of the kids I went to school with, or young of the people I went to school with, I said, did you ever think that in your lifetime you would be living in a country which could be credibly accused of being a banana republic, where the rule of law was, you know, kind of a joke, where uh, the powerful could get away with whatever they felt like, and they would be deferred to. And yet in Washington, in today's Washington, D.C., they can. And I think that's a shocking difference from just my tenure there. From 1994 to 2011, uh, while I was in Washington, I'm not sure I could quickly come up with an example of the certain people getting away with illegal conduct and nobody making any big deal about it. But you look at Hillary Clinton and you realize, wait a minute, she did what? Mm-hmm. She deleted and bleach bit um, records which had already been subpoenaed. You know, you might believe, well, you, you know, somebody, if a smart criminal uh, figures out they might have records they don't want to have, they might um, destroy them before the government asks, but to have the gall, the arrogance to destroy them after they've been requested and thus creating the situation where she can say, oh, there were just invitations to weddings or parties or uh, birthday events or other social things, and nobody can challenge her. And and that, why, by the way, takes you to the, the central allegation uh, by uh, – uh, or against Biden that we're looking at right now against Joe Biden is this alleged bribe, perhaps by an executive at Burisma, which at least when the 1023 was filled out, was memorialized in tape recordings, which had his voice. We've now gone four and a half years without trying to gather those. Oh, my God. And and two of those years were under a Republican attorney general. Right. And he didn't go try to get them. You know, that case to me, I don't know how any prosecutor ever proves it if the tapes don't exist, because then it becomes a he said, she said. Right. You got a you've got a Burisma official who says, yeah, I bribed the guy. And you got the grandfatherly uh, then vice president, now president of the United States saying, oh, no, I would never have done that. You know, it's interesting. You, you, it took me this long to think this. I don't know why it took me this long to think this. But when you mentioned those 33,000 emails that uh, Hillary Clinton deleted uh, that were under subpoena, to this day, we still remember perhaps the key moment of Nixon's need to resign under the Watergate scandal was a missing 18 minutes. Of tape. That's 18 right. minutes of 18 tape was minutes. missing. And here we have 33 emails of no consequence. I want to talk to you about— Wait a minute, 33 
hundred. Thirty-three thousand. Thirty-three thousand. Thirty-three thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, so with Clinton, you can't ever exaggerate so far that it won't be true. The truth, the truth will do. It was thirty-three thousand. John, let me come back with you. Yeah, let me come back on the other side on the corruption thing in the Department of Justice. That's what the story is about. It's not about Hunter Biden. It's about the Department of Justice, and that's what I want to come back and talk to you about. We'll be right back. Congressman John Shattig is my guest. He is the uh, head of uh, Shattig Associates based here in town, a practicing attorney, former congressman, 16 years representing Arizona's old congressional, old fourth congressional district. John, before I get to the two tiers of justice, um, let me ask you this about corruption and faith in our institutions. Of all the shocking things that I heard last week, the most shocking thing I heard was a press conference where Attorney General Merrick Garland, when people started questioning the Department of Justice's role here, held a press conference last Friday, and he said, those who question the integrity of the Department of Justice are questioning American democracy. They are putting the American people's safety at risk. What the hell, John Shattuck? Is he A. Mitchell Palmer? Is he saying that we can no longer question the Department of Justice? Was that a rule that abided for John Ashcroft? Was that a rule that abided for Bill Barr? Was that a rule that abided for John Mitchell or John Kleindienst? Was that a rule that ever abided for any previous attorney general or any institution of government that we can't question the integrity of it without putting without putting at risk our Constitution and the safety of the American people? I don't say it lightly. Does he think he's Mitchell Palmer? It is no question that any democracy can ever embrace. That is to say, if the body politic refuses to ever question the conduct of government, then you are assured of not having a principled government that follows the rule of law. Uh, and and this is it, not a new tactic with his recitation of it. So now we're not supposed to question or ever examine or or concern ourselves with the conduct of the Department of Justice. So I guess under that rule, he's going to say we're not supposed to question uh, or challenge uh, the conduct of the FBI. Absolutely. So if they conduct a lawless search, well, we shouldn't be asking about it. But 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 look, this is now a theme of the left. You know, once the Trump election came along, and uh, I, I personally believe he lost the election, uh, but the response of the left now is anybody who questions that election, and then you can they'll step back and say, oh, by the way, anybody who challenges or questions any election is seeking to destroy democracy. Well, I guarantee you, I think it's the last chapter of my dad's book, which says, don't let them steal it from you. Now, I think the last chapter is uh, for men of good conscience. But the next to the Will last chapter. bring me chapter, a copy next week, please? I will. Okay. The, the second to the last chapter, I think, is don't let them steal it from you. And, and the reality is, like it or don't, the way God created man and women, you, you know, you can't just assume uh, that they will always abide by the law and that everyone is a believer in equal justice, everyone is a believer in the rule of law, and no one will ever cheat. That's simply not the way 
humans are made in this world in any event. So if if we now the left is attacking everybody that questions an election. Now, I grant you that there are people who, uh, you know, stretch uh, the circumstances under which they will challenge an election. And I have some admiration for Nixon, who laid down what I think is the rule here when he was told after his defeat that he should challenge the election in Chicago because they believe strongly he'd win. And he said, if I do that, it won't be good for the nation. So I admire that. But I think we need structures to examine elections. I have this idea that here in Arizona, we should not create like an auditor of elections at the state level who could become corrupted himself. But I think we should say, okay, each year we're going to create a rotating schedule or each election cycle, each two years. So three counties, one or two of them being small counties and one be a big county, are going to audit three other counties. And and they and and we do that on a rotating basis. The the exercise would mean that uh, the election officials in Apache County might be auditing uh, Maricopa County. Maricopa County might be auditing Smart. Pinal County, and they would learn from the experience. But for him to say anybody who questions. Yeah. The integrity of the Department of Justice, when we've seen what we've seen, yeah. when we've seen these yeah. crooks, when we've seen uh, Strzok, and when we've seen yeah. Comey, and yeah. we've seen what they do, yeah. that's insanity. Uh, uh, it, there's no purpose to a First Amendment. There's no purpose to a press if they can't question the government or the integrity of the government. Let me— Wait, wait. Yeah. Isn't wasn't it? Didn't we rebel from that? Yeah, we, wasn't we, the king's rule. Nobody can question the king. Yeah, the king we're is supposed never to wrong. celebrate that in a couple of days. <laughs> I want to pick up on the two tiers when we come right back. Two tiers, T I E R S, not tears. I am Seth Leibson. He's John Shattuck. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Shattig is my guest. John, you said something interesting that gets me to this notion of the two tiers of justice that I think the American people uh, not only feel but, but don't know what they can do about, which might be so prevalent that's what pushed CBS to finally cover this story as they did last night. And I think you put your finger on it in a, in a small thing that's about a much bigger thing that you said in the previous segment. That Joe Biden will be forgiven for embracing his son, the fatherly love of a son. And you're beginning to see that defense. Nick Kristoff said it in the New York Times. The ladies say it on The View. This is a story about a father's love for his son. I just don't remember that being the rule when it came to Neil Bush. I don't remember it being the rule when it came to Donald Trump Jr., or Ivanka Trump, it's a new rule. It's a new rule of uh, what might you call it sovereign immunity? Um, a phrase, a phrase that you, you were talking to me about over the break. It's a new rule that to question an election turns you into a traitor. Jimmy Carter himself questioned the election of Donald Trump in 2016, saying it was a fraudulent election that the Russians elected him. Hillary Clinton questioned the election of 2016, saying Donald Trump was an, illeg- an illegitimate president because the Russians elect him, elected him. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, then Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, tweeted multiple times and said multiple times that he was an illegitimate president because the election of 
2016 was a fraud, just as electors did and congresspeople did when Bush prevailed over Gore in 2000, and just as Barbara Boxer did when Bush won re-election in 2004. These are new rules. These are new claims of immunity and new claims of ability to prosecute the other side. Yes, sir? This is a part of it, too, isn't it? This is a part of the two tiers I'm talking about. I think at bottom, it's the fundamental divide in society. Uh, And what I mean by that is I think as a nation, we agreed at the time of our founding that there were things that were absolutes, that right was right and wrong was wrong. Lying was wrong, period. You couldn't defend it. Stealing is wrong. Murder is wrong. And what has happened is that the left argues there's an entire school that says, no, there are no absolutes. It's just what uh, we agree to today. Yeah, we call it relativism, right? Relativism. So if we decide in our new embrace of relativism that uh, saying uh, um, saying lying is okay under some set of circumstances. Well, that was the Clinton defense. That, yes. Then, well, perjury is okay here. That's right. right. Um, I and I didn't mean to state that it, that Biden's Biden Senior's defense of its son makes it right. No, no, no. You were saying that's but the defense. Though. That's, that's the right, defense, right. and it has become socially acceptable. Right. Had uh, uh, um, one of our founders faced similar circumstances and tried to make the same argument. Well, I love my son, so I'm going to excuse any bad conduct. All of society would have said, no, uh, we get that you are going to sympathize with him, but we're not going to accept that as the policy. It's a country that abhors nepotism after all. Yep, absolutely. So uh, I think uh, that is the decline in values. Uh, that we face that underlies almost all of the debate that goes on today. And and I would say it is linked uh, to a certain degree to the lack of, or the or the decline in uh, religious belief, uh, the decline in ultimate authority, the decline in belief in God uh, the and the decline in the belief of absolutes, that right is right and wrong is wrong, and that uh, things like the Ten Commandments are inviolate. Uh, and, and then you be send, begin to see that work its way into everyday life and society. Uh, and so uh, it's reflected in politics, and, I, and it's not shocking, but it's also not good. We're supposed to be celebrating all of this in about six days. Yep. You gonna do a big? What do you do for the Fourth of July? You do fireworks, hot dogs, hamburgers, cheeseburgers. What? What is? What's the Shattuck Fourth of July celebration? Everything you just named, we do. Yeah, we do. We, Shirley is great at hot dogs and hamburgers. Yeah. We do roasted corn. We do. My daughter is passionate yeah. about fireworks. Yeah, uh, she has her stash already. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and her uh, license. Let it, let the record reflect. <laughs> and her and variance, her, right? And her right. license. Yeah. Uh, uh, Strictly within the law, of yes, course. Yes, of course, of course. Uh, but, yeah, no, we do it all. 
actually, I'm already embarrassing my neighborhood because I have more bunting and more flags outside my house than any neighbor. But they're used to it by now. We do it every year. We do bunting on the How many American flags fly in your neighborhood when it's not Fourth of July? Quite a few. Okay, good. In our neighborhood, uh, more than I, more I'm the than only I would house on my block. I'm maybe, blown away by this. I'm maybe more than I, than even when I was a kid. More than when you were. A kid. I I think so. Um, there are a number of our neighbors that have flagpoles and are permanent. Um, it's an older neighborhood. Uh, uh, it's in Moon Valley, and uh, it's you know. It, where white lightning's still the when, greatest when thrill Shirley, of all. Yeah. <laughs> when Shirley and I moved in, we were the youngest ones in the labor, neighborhood. Now we're quickly becoming the oldest ones in the neighborhood. Uh, but there are a lot of flags, and a lot of flags a, a good portion of the year. It's such a great holiday for me. It's a religious. So my old boss, Jack Kemp, you knew Jack. Of course. Uh, he said he only cries at two occasions, any time a business opens and on the 4th of July. <laughs> Anytime a business opens <laughs> and on the 4th of July. Um, I get goosebumps on, yeah, I on the too. 4th of July and at seeing the fireworks and at seeing people take pride in this country. And today I would argue we have to take pride in what this country can be again yeah. as opposed to what it sadly is, uh, at least in Washington today. And I think it's a climate around the yeah. – up and down the whole East Coast. Yeah. Um my son and I were talking about the other day, and, you know, in Arizona, if you have five neighbors, uh, it's pretty evenly distributed. You're going to have at least two Democrats uh, and and uh, three Republicans or three Democrats and two Republicans. Um, you go to the East Coast and everybody, yeah. everybody, every neighbor up and down the block is, to one degree or another, an activist Democrat. Yeah. And so anybody that's undecided hears from Democrat neighbors all the time. And, of course, the most shocking thing in my lifetime is what's happened to the media. They've just gone all in. We used to talk about the media slanting a little bit to the left by the time I got to maybe high school. Uh, um, But we had no clue of what what it's like today. We had actual newspapers when you and I were in high school that were literally considered conservative. Yep. You can't find one now. John Shattuck, happy 4th of July in advance. Look Same, forward to you. To Same to you, to and I'm excited about it. Good. You should be. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Bidenomics. Let's give it the name it deserves. It stands for bank failures, stock market volatility, possible recession, and high inflation. So where do you go to invest in a Time of Bidenomics. You go to Y-Refi. They have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, which is headquartered here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on the 101 in Scottsdale Road. I've been there. You won't get a sales pitch. You won't be asked to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm where you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34. The suit upstairs was on vacation, so you're playing a little bit of a welcome back prank 
form tomorrow, aren't you? And we, we discovered something culturally interesting, didn't we? Yes, we did. We totally did. And by we, I mean you, the royal we. Harold Sakata, who played Oddjob in Goldfinger, was actually one of the headhunters in a Gilligan's Island episode. That's right. Yeah, interesting. Uh, but we uh, we can't uh, give away what we're about to do <laughs> no, for but we'll fear rep- of his listening right. to this broadcast. Right. So if we're not on air tomorrow, we've well, been headhunted. Well, we'll know. Yes, <laughs> we will need to hire some headhunters. If we're not on air tomorrow, we will know that the the practical joke went terribly poorly. Um, thinking about this government and its uh, and its waste, we were reminded uh, conversation with John Shattuck and the network of political appointees and operatives that honeycombed the Department of Justice and the FBI. You might use the phrase Churchill used to describe the Soviet Union, right? It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And that really is the crucial point of the First Amendment. The First Amendment is not there for the government, and it's not there for the government to deploy to investigate us, which... Merrick Garland doesn't quite understand when he seeks federal prosecution authority against parents showing up at nothing more than school board meetings, right? Exercising their First Amendment rights to question their local government, which is a school board. It's local government. And when he tells us that we can't question the integrity of the Department of Justice without imperiling democracy or threatening the lives and safety of American citizens, that's an abrogation of the First Amendment. It renders it completely null and void, useless, not necessary. And of course, that's what they want. They want us shut up. Well, unless this prank goes so badly that we're not here tomorrow, we're not going to shut up. Uh, until tomorrow, David, thank you. God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.